This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, the postmortem on the young, restless, and reform. I am your host, Matt. I am joined by Pastor Michael. I am doing well tonight. I am eating a freshly baked roll by my wife, and I was recently relieved of a pesky catalytic converter from my car by a a friendly neighborhood thief. So that's how I'm coming into our episode tonight. Michael, how are you doing? It's brutal. Um, I'm doing great, man. I feel jovial. And Mm. if you, like me, have been looking at the planet Jupiter, you may also be jovial today. I just feel like we're going to make it, huh? We're going to win. I've been listening to a lot of, I have to even look at his name. I'm going to lose it. Gustav Holst and his his music about the planets and uh, his planets suite. And man, seriously, I do want everybody right now. I hate to have you stop this podcast, but if you're able, please don't stop this podcast. (laughs) Go search Gustav Holst, Jupiter and listen to that and tell me we're not all going to make it. We're going to make it. I, you know, Anon, I hope this was a relatable intro for you. Um, <laughs> so we, we, we love you. Uh, we, uh, we're doing great tonight. Why so. is this episode down in its listenership? Yeah. How, how come the downloads are only at 100 downloads? What's going Let on? Let me quick say things like just to help the SEO, like not downgrade us. Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll, Young Restless <laughs> Reform, real quick. Like forget all that planet music you'd never heard of. Um <laughs> But yeah, we are doing well, and we do have one thing we have to do is, in our last episode, Pastor Michael boldly chose what no man has chosen before. He chose nuance, and so we are giving away a shirt um, to one of the people who shared it on Twitter, and we are sharing it with our friend, pie is greater than cake. So, sir, we will send you a message on Twitter, and we'll get you that nuance t-shirt. But Pastor Michael... Without any more further ado, because we still have to make a whole episode. Look at all the tabs I have pulled up. Man, you have so many tabs. (laughs) I'm looking at the time. I'm looking at the tabs and I'm thinking (laughs) you were ambitious tonight, Matt. I'm ambitious. I've got this role. We got to I've got to earn my keep tonight because, you know, catalytic converters don't grow on trees they're just <laughs> but they do sit under cars relatively easy to remove is, that, is, is this easier than on a tree it's not quite easier but it's pretty close <laughs> pretty close it is pretty close and it only takes two minutes to pick this one so <laughs> with a lot more than an apple as we've all learned um <laughs> We're gonna try and we're gonna try and do this. We're still we are we're not giving up on this episode because we are reviewing another episode of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Because friends, we are gonna we're gonna make it. As we're Pastor gonna finish Michael this. Said, we're, we're gonna, gonna finish this. this. We've been trying. Uh, we, we know that we're kind of behind the times. We know that uh, we should have been done with this a long time ago if we really wanted our podcast to grow more than it has, Uh, but we didn't. And so here we are. We're going to finish it, though. But we didn't want to become Mike Cosper reply guys. 
and you're listening to a podcast about a thing from 10 years ago. So you're already okay <laughs> that we're behind the times. So we are going to be reacting and talking about the episode called Red Sky at Morning, a, uh, a great, a great um, folksy name that, man, this episode, I feel like had a lot of interesting components, was, but was overall a mess. Uh, so as everyone knows who has listened to the show probably about six months ago, um, I am listening to these episodes live. So for me, this is brand new. Pastor Michael with you has listened to these a long time ago. I think this episode is a bit of a mess. But basically this episode, as Christianity Today says, it covers the seeing what happens as Mars Hill successes grow and how Mark Driscoll's dreams for ministry um, expand. And so he takes uses advances in technology, multi-site to try and get the church, as they say, his goal became a single-minded focus of getting 50,000 members. And so um, the big thing they talk about, the big event that kind of surrounds this episode is when Mars Hill had its Easter service at the Seattle Seahawks Quest Field, right? This big event, this big, which I watched live, by the way. I, I also watched live. Here we were watching it live together. We we came home from our Easter service That's at exactly church. What I did, yeah. We cranked that thing on the like the moment I walked in the door. Boom, got it up and running. Dude, this was this was church online before church was online. Everybody, like, That's right. I I had to see it. Um, I mean, and it was an event. Driscoll was in a suit. His entire sermon was him yelling at the top of his lungs for some reason. Uh, Dustin Kensrew of Thrice was playing the worship music, and then they did like a gajillion impromptu baptisms, apparently, uh, following it. And so I watched it live. Um, so let me just say the reason I think that this episode is a bit of a mess is this episode is where I think you really see the breakdown of how they're actually trying to tell the story. Because as we we're, they're basically doing it semi-thematically, but also semi-chronologically. Because, right, they, they're taking us up to the moment where this thing collapses, right? But this episode especially, they're pulling pieces of his ministry from all over the time frame. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And pulling them all together as like, see, this is what was going on. But... But if you actually know the the time frame of these things and the dates on these things with even like years, right? You don't need details. Like we're talking about events that are years apart from yeah. each other. And so I really, I really feel like there was a lot breaking down, right? I feel like there would have been a great episode here on the making of the resurgence website, which is where this starts. Um, yeah. I think there was there is obviously plenty to talk about with the quest field thing. Um, but again, they kind of have to bring all of these things. You know, we go back to going to multi-site, right? And so they kind of try to bring all these things together. And I actually think it becomes pretty, um, pretty confused. Uh, the episode overall, um, I think, is unclear. But as with all the episodes, we want you to know this isn't just entertainment, um, even though that's probably how you listen to it. These episodes have a stated 
purpose. Like we believe there's a, a statable thesis to every single one of these episodes. Um, and I think if you listen to the episodes, we try and state them as Mike Cosper and Christianity Today would. Um, and so here's what I think they were generally uh, getting at. And so Pastor Michael, you can react to this after I share it. So the media empire phase of the church took Mars Hill from being a megachurch to a multi-site media empire. These public triumphs and notoriety actually covered up and may have actually caused much of what was unhealthy and destructive in the church. That's what I think they would, that's what I think Mike and the producers of this podcast would say this episode is basically about. Yeah. And I think that's right. I think that's pretty good. Um, You see this, especially uh, with what you've already stated, the bringing in of all of these different factors and these big kind of, you know, tours, basically that, you know, preaching tours, the book, I think this is when they did the book, right? They talk about they the book and the depth, New, New York Times, getting it on yeah. the New York Times and uh, all, all of that put together. The, you know, the, the Easter bit that we watched live, all of it being brought as if it were one big event almost, right? Like it, yeah. this is one big next step, even if that's not chronologically true, it could, I think, be thematically true, right? In the right. narrative of this church. Uh, but we we have yet to see that, I guess. Right. And I again, I think that when you are attempting this level of reporting and you're going to do the final two episodes and have us spend five hours, I do think at this point you are doing the level of reporting where you do at this point kind of just owe it to people to do like actual what investigative reporting is like. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, and that would be great, right? Like there are so many interesting yeah, yeah. aspects to this story. There were so many. I'm I'm looking forward to um what clips you pulled out and and what we'll get into because there are so many little elements that are fascinating and interesting and bring up great questions. Um, but to throw it all together does become a little bit of a quagmire. Because so this kind of thing we're actually not going to talk about because it it kind of gets um ends up getting thrown to the side and they don't spend a lot of time on it in this episode is if you're a listener and you like me experienced mars hill from a distance pastor michael the same way the reason you basically learn and it becomes kind of a throwaway thing in the first five minutes the reason you know mark driscoll is and what mars hill was is because of a man named mark mike sorry a man named mike anderson who knew how to build a website, the resurgence, and then geniusly knew how to market it, right? They describe his like, yeah, we will get, we're going to get these big names to write for us. Yep. And then we get all their credibility and they're doing it for us. Yeah, this was fascinating. I don't know if you have some, uh, I don't know if I'm kind of jumping the gun nope, a little bit, ju- but just jump in like his, his, the whole story there of his just like absolutely hustling yes. to get this done. And sleeping on people's couches just so he could go meet with people all over the country. Fascinating. I love it, actually. Like, I'm I'm really intrigued by this, um, just even on a, like a personal level of that story. Um, and then especially how it like ties into how we understood and saw so much of the church. Because I used to read the researches all the time, right? I mean, I used to read that uh, basically every day, um, go and check it every day. So um, it was huge 
in our connection to Mars Hill and the Mark Driscoll story. Um, loved that. It was really yeah. interesting. You know, yeah. it was really interesting. That certainly could have been a whole episode. Mike, Absolutely. Mike Anderson, we would love to talk to you because I've actually now, I now believe that the Mark Driscoll I knew was basically a product created by a man named Mike Anderson who, right, had, who had like pretty like good theological and cultural sense, like, oh, who should I go find to talk to? Somehow yep. he instinct, maybe he had a plan, maybe he was directed, but he seems to instinctively knew who in the YRR movement one would talk to him and he should talk to. He seems brilliant to me, by the way. Like he really does. Like I, I would love to talk to them just on that level of just like the business, the hustle. I'm so fascinated by that. Yeah. And the other thing you see with it is, I mean, the resurgence conferences, like of all the YRR conferences, you know, we've talked about them. That was the one I wanted to go to because they mashed up really interesting people. Yeah. At these events. Um, and that, and that was, that was wild. So I just think it is, it is pretty important that, so Driscoll's clips go out, start going out everywhere. And his content starts going out everywhere in 2006 when Mike Anderson launches the resurgence. So it's, it's two years later when I fully enter like basically the, the Driscoll world like of all of this stuff become a wire our guy and i'm like oh wow why was there so much for me to listen to why was this all here why did it why was it the kind of thing a guy uh teaching me about starting to teach me about my faith could point me to because this guy built this thing right i and i you know i found it at its height so i just think it's yeah it's genius so um I thought it was interesting. Um, so they go back a little bit to um, they go back to where the multi-site came from because they talk about how it's not actually an American phenomenon that starts. And so let's listen to this clip about multi-site, which again becomes a big issue in this episode as Driscoll talks about wanting 50,000 members of the church. Let's talk for a second about multi-site churches. Using the most basic definition, a multi-site is a church with a shared, centralized set of leaders, values, doctrine, and identity that meets in multiple locations. Some versions have live preaching at each location, some only have live teaching at one, and video everywhere else. Really though, there's a million ways to do it, and a million books written on how to do it. And a lot of those books were written by Warren Bird. I asked him to walk me through the origins of the phenomenon. I bet most listeners' assumption is that I'm going to say something in the U.S. because we kind of think the the world revolves around us, and it and it doesn't. Uh, God is often way ahead of what happens in the United States uh, overseas, and in this case, the megachurch movement had taken off in Korea, and uh, and Yonggi Cho at Yoido uh, Church had uh, he would speak to the sanctuary, but he would have a bank of television monitors that were kind of like overflow rooms that in and of themselves were kind of like congregations. And so um, all of these pilgrimage people from the United States who went and saw this, you know, what became the largest attendance church in the world, saw here is 
here is a way to have a church in more than one location using video and it works it's interesting that this um the idea that this author who really popularized the idea of multi-site apparently in the united states credits uh a pastor from south korea who had the largest church in the world um and that that was basically a model that over time was imported into america and we will note the church is called the uh yoido full gospel church which tends to refer to a pretty hyper charismatic kind of theology right where you don't you don't have the gospel if you don't believe in healings right all of these things um and yeah and so um i again i just think it's interesting the idea that this kind of mega this mega population church thing is actually an import from outside of the country and this church has 500 locations throughout the world and seven was what? claimed 750,000 members. members. So that is a, I mean, you have a decent sized city at this point. Right. It's interesting. They mentioned that in South Korea, mega churches grew, it became very popular after the Korean war. That's very interesting. I don't, I have no idea why that is the case, but I'm sure yeah. there's a there's very so much there, right? You know that there's something there. Yeah, Just like, like in America, you have the mega church model very much like following on the heels of the idea of like suburbia and, and just like a whole bunch of kind of this new, this new kind of consumerism. And, and uh, it's obviously tied very tightly to this. Um, so it'd be interesting to look into that. Again, when I heard this clip, when I heard this talk about this guy, where this, where, where these ideas were being done at a large scale, I was like, man, there is, there is a lot like in this pretty throwaway clip like now again do we actually know if any multi-site pastor in america would be like young e cho and what he, you know and i don't have no idea if that's actually true but i'll just say that the source did not make you know does not make me think of of it and so we're going to keep listening about how the church was getting built and and pastor michael um in this next clip i want you to stop me if you hear anything being described that maybe should have been, maybe should have been a red flag along the way. The other side to a school. And if somebody had clipped or, or run over that wire, that would be. Sorry, this guy is continuing to explain like the early multi-sites here in America. The end of the, the worship service, but there were all kinds of experimenters is what I'm saying. Is this, am, am I supposed to just throw a red oh, yeah, flag wherever? Just throw, yeah, yeah. So well, like if somebody bumps a cord, there's no more, like it's over, right? Like the, the worship service is over. Huge red flag. <laughs> Here's another one. You're, you, we're going to run out of flags. Everyone was just experimenting with worship now. Let's yeah. just, <laughs> let's see what happens. We can frame all of this in. If we strip the whole idea of multi-site and video venue down to its bones. How has the church allowed technology to reshape its ministry before, even its ecclesiology and its worship? What happens when technology enables you to take something that would otherwise- Oh yeah, sorry. I uh, I actually decided we wouldn't listen to this entire clip because Mike Cosper goes on to try and explain the ways technology has influenced the church. 
And I thought we were going to get the very classic. The car changed how the church works because people don't just have to yeah. go to the closest church to them. We actually get how like multi-site is kind of like the Anglican Book of Common Prayer because he it does. <laughs> he does. Yeah, like multi-site that, like, is yeah the BCP. Yeah, so, so that was weird. Shout out to you, Anglicans. Definitely same, same thing. <laughs> Anglican, yes. Sorry same to you th- guys that uh, apparently you are the reason for multi-site. Same thing. Just the same. It's the same. <laughs> oh, man, that means... We do need... We we need the meme, right? Like, you know... Uh, yeah, oh, just a picture of the Book of Common... <laughs> the Book of Common Prayer multi-site churches craig rochelle on a same movie thing. screen in front of 500 <laughs> same thing <laughs> the same oh thing. that's hilarious that's how that's you know as as when thomas kramner wrote a list of written prayers for <laughs> for the churches in england uh so um here's one thing here's one area where those venn diagrams um uh do actually have overlap is that the puritans would have protested both uh vociferously so um because they obviously did not like the book of common prayer and uh they would have really hated multi-site my friends so (laughs) all right so we actually now get a clip of driscoll um and he's kind of talking about the multi-site isn't really anything that new it's kind of an adaptation of things we've seen done throughout christian history so we'll uh pastor michael you can yay nay or nuance if basically the multi-site is something we've seen throughout Christian history. Prayer in their, in their own language. They had never, it seemed sacrilegious. Driscoll made historical comparisons as well in his defense of multi-site. He made his most direct appeal by referencing the horseback Methodist circuit rider ministries. We, we have, instead of a horse, you have a screen. If you're doing video preaching. Um, in uh, early Methodism, I'll give you one example. Francis Asbury, who was the uh, founding bishop of, of American Methodism, he traveled a quarter million miles, estimated, on foot and horseback, preached 16,000 sermons. That's multi-campus under a senior leader whose primary preacher functioning in an apostolic way. Not an apostle like the New Testament authors, but apostolic in that they have leadership influence over multiple churches, whereas a pastor has leadership in- influence over a church. He also mentions the printing press, but then he goes on to talk about loudspeakers, radio, and television, and how they gave Billy Graham a reach for the gospel that was unimaginable a century before. He then describes a pretty dramatic vision for what multi-site could look like in just a few years. Well, so we'll talk about his vision for multi-site. So Pastor Michael, obviously, uh, this isn't a too, super unfamiliar clip if you are a Driscoll follower. He often appealed to like what was going on in the church and different traditions to like to talk about how similar to what they're doing. Yeah. Do you think. Is this a fair analogy or no? No. So um, there's a certain point to where, you know, bringing up different technologies that have allowed greater reach in certain ways can at least help give us some direction when it comes to using newer technologies. However, to compare, um, say, like a person on a video screen to being like a person who sacrifices out of love and devotion to God 
to go physically to be with people in various different places. It like that is just a very different thing. Like just obviously on its face, it's very different. Um, and then, you know, one of the things that, you know, anytime we do this, like, hey, this like this new technology is like this other technology that we've had, which, you know, that is uh, that is sometimes true. Right. And I've used that analogy. Right. So, for instance, like the Internet being like the printing press, I think that's a pretty good analogy. I think that there's some a really good truth to it. What we don't always do is we don't always talk about the negative effects of various technologies and how that should also play into our understanding of this new technology, right? It's always instead of, hey, maybe this is actually going to uh, be a problem. Uh, it, it's going to cause a lot of issues. It's going to um, destroy communities. Instead of looking at it through that lens, we just exclusively say, oh, well, I want to use this. So it has to be good. Oh, it must be like these other good things that have taken place before. Yeah, it's it's so true, because I think what whatever the again, whatever the like comparison may or may not be at the end of the day, the question that we have for the Methodist writers in the multi-site people is, is this how Jesus wants the church ran? Is this how Jesus wants the gospel spread? And I know it's very Presbyterian and like almost heartless for me to ask that question because I'm, I'm not opposed to lots of people hearing the gospel or finding, doing whatever we have to, to, you know, make that happen. But again, when the amount of people, the amount of places I can be, becomes what we think we need to do of course that is going to shape how we understand what the church should be what technology we need to use in yeah in 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 totally potentially foreign ways also what like there is a significant difference between a screen and this like you know pixelated image saying something versus a person saying something to you, right? Because it's not a person, right? When we watched Mark Driscoll, we weren't watching Mark Driscoll. We were watching an image of him, right? Like right. A, a recording of him. It's, it is it is not the same thing. We and watching uh, Mike Anderson's production right. of him, basically. Right. And even that, right, that even takes it a step removed, right? Right. And uh, like, but how has God spoken? Um, in various times in various ways, but always through persons, right? Right. That it, God is a personal God and that this is how he speaks. So when, when the gospel goes forward, um, I think that we should expect that the fruit of the gospel will be born primarily as it is wrought by persons, right. you know, two other persons, instead of this weird disembodied thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's listen to the, the, the great vision for the multi-site. I, I believe it is probable that you will have churches in the millions. I don't think it's impossible millions. to have a church of a million people. 
It happens in other nations and in other places, but I think technology and the number of screens in America has made it possible to have churches of that kind of scope and reach. Now, to be sure, not a lot, and certainly not mine, because if you've listened to me, you know I'm not mass marketable. Uh, I hit a very sort of uh, drunken redneck, indie rocker, good sense of humor niche. Um, but there will be someone yeah, who is able now, to speak to because that's what, you know, right. for now, because that's cool, right? <laughs> Or you uh, later on uh, move to where everybody retires to and talk about like, you know, just become a boomer Driscoll and try to hit that market, you know, yep. talk to the Fox News uh, boomers and get them on board about no COVID restrictions. If you want to hear us talk about that, got to get on the Patreon. So here is here's my thing when I hear this. Why is there this interest in a church of a million people? And I'm not even, we're not even going to waste. We've done so many things on this of like the ecclesiology of what we're like. (laughs) We've done this a bajillion times, but, but I, I will, maybe I will expand it. And if we've covered this, I'm sorry, but why do people feel like there need to be churches in the millions? Because everyone deep down wants the church to be Catholic even even people who basically believe in local church autonomy so it becomes like so one way you do that is dude let's just get massive ones so it feels catholic right everybody can be in this church that's right uh or like you figure out like obviously the sbc has a model of catholicity where it's like the thing we're supposed to be catholic about is the missions we do which again, I'm, I'm not even commenting on it, but, but this all comes from this thing that everybody knows Jesus said, I will build my church, that I'm going to build one church. And everybody, and obviously the American corporate entrepreneurial vision of that is very different than the like medieval Roman, like, well, we are going to become an empire like everyone, <laughs> you know, like we are going to become an empire with a head of state who kings have to kiss. But that I think is, I think that really deep down is what is going on with a lot of this. So here's my other take. The question then has to be, if you want Catholicity, baby. So here comes our, here comes our ecclesiology matters ad for Presbyterianism. We had to do one when we were talking about ecclesiology, right? The question becomes, Can you organize the church in a way where practical, biblical shepherding occurs and Catholicity is possible? That's the question. Can you obey the commands for universality? Can you obey the commands, though, of shepherds, elders, plurality of elders, members, personal relationships, not hierarchy? Can you organize the church? Is it possible? And I remember legitimately believing that, no, it was not. Like, that was just kind of my opinion. Like, that actually just is actually not something we can do. So we have to have this local autonomy. And we know implicitly, yeah, there are these other Christians who I'm connected to, but we, it's just not possible to have it on an actual church level. And the answer, ladies and gentlemen, as it always is, is Presbyterianism. 
They did it. They did it. They figured it out, people. You don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. I, I and I throw just in the it, towel. It's already here. It's so encouraging. It's really encouraging to be part of the church across the world. A church that legitimately all regenerate believers and their children could join. Yep. Um, and I think that that is, that is, it's a, it is a practical outworking of Catholicity. And that doesn't mean the Presbyterian church or the, the PCA is a perfect church, right? It's still just because it has a, this form of church government that makes Catholicity and these biblical emphases possible doesn't mean those things are done right all the time. You know, the, the specific details of the organization aren't inspired and will change as countries call, you know, these things change, right? But, but at its heart, it is aiming, right? It's aiming at these things, these huge foundational things. But we don't need screens or, you know, you don't, Right. Like Driscoll. And I think literally- we're at the point, right? So this was, you know, this was something that was pretty new and exciting. Yeah. And uh-huh. with the, the rise of the internet, like this was like, wow, this might change everything. Mm-hmm. And I understand how you'd get swept up in it. Um, I'm of sure course. I was, and I'm, you know, I'm sure we all were in a to a certain extent. And I'm sure we're like that now with other things. Right. Um, but I do feel that most people today can look back and be like, oh yeah, that was that was probably pretty dumb. Just, you know, just like think about who it. Who wants a million person church? I like, don't who know. Who wants to be a part of that? I don't know. Also, Driscoll says, yeah, we're going to get a million person church in America. And how are we going to do it? We're going to find the pastor who's mass marketable enough. Yeah. That is the claw. That's, that's what it like. Don't you, Brutal. Isn't, isn't that what you love? The man, there's this great local place. Or as you know, McDonald's can make these suckers like a machine. Where do you want to go to eat? I'll tell you, you don't, you want to go to the Wisconsin supper club with me. You don't want to go to McDonald's. I know. I know the answer to this question. (laughs) Go to the church in the same place you eat. Sorry. Sorry. If you, I love you. If you are in a, um, if you are in a big box McDonald's style mega church, we'd love you. Love to have you on the show and have you come to church with us because we will give you home cooking. It'll feel like a family. As you can tell, it's really late. And so we are just <laughs> letting it fly. Like just like, throwing the Presbyterian bombs today. Yeah, we're throwing, we're, we're, we're fighting worse. So let's listen to this next clip before we find ourselves in, in some more trouble. When he turns his attention to the internet, you see a glimpse of what Mars Hill's reach looked like in 2008. And I think. So this is the year again, as I mentioned, this is the year I am exposed to Driscoll. Between these comments and the comments about screens, there's a sketch of a roadmap for where the church would go in the next six years. I mean, today, what, I, what we are finding, I'll preach a sermon on Sunday, like in our Religion Save series a while back. I'll preach a sermon on a Sunday. We'd send it out to iTunes and Facebook and MySpace and YouTube, and we'd put it on our main website and our media portal. Let's say on a Sunday I'd preach to, I don't know, a certain number of people. That week... Either in full or in part, the sermon would be downloaded, listened to, or viewed, audio and video format, upwards of 100,000 times. You think about the multiplication of the message through the internet. I mean, it's unbelievable. 
You know, so if there's a Sunday and there's 6,000 people I preach to, it goes on the internet, hits another 100,000 people that week, and it lives forever. We've talked a lot. So he's talking, again, he's talking about the numbers. But here's the question, I think, that, again, maybe it's an, maybe, again, we're, I'm looking for the different ways we can talk about this. Because like I said, I feel like they're just pulling things from every, kind of every section. Like we've talked about, you know, a lot of this. The question is of media ecology. What what about so right? The message is going to live on the internet forever, except that you pulled all this stuff, man. You made our job really <laughs> hard, Pastor Mark, by trying to make that not happen. But the question is, to what degree, Pastor Michael, does it matter if my spiritual life? Let's just take church. Let's not go into like total internet. I'm at church pulpit stained glass hymns whatever i'm at church movie screen band good coffee made by apparently a a coffee shop the church owns and operates out of the goodness of its heart what what is there a how is this media ecology matter and then are there ways where we might be you might oh we could again because now it's cool to dump on all of this stuff right is there a way where we can overplay this, the medium of this and its importance? Yeah, I mean, I think no doubt. Um, I'm trying my best to think of maybe examples of how this would play out at other times in history that we would look back on now and be like, like, why, why is this technology everywhere? Why do people, you know, do things this way? This doesn't make any sense. Um, but as far as the, like the, the medium itself does affect how the message is received and, and the way that the message is presented matters. Mm. Uh, and so this is what we were talking about before, you know, in part the you know, the, the personal, uh, side of the message, but this comes through too, I think in. In maybe more limited ways, even if, hey, you're just like you're in a church that is not a multi-site church, but you still may be moving in a direction that is it's it's operating with the same kind of worldview that Mark Driscoll is elaborating on. Um, it's it's maybe slowly and maybe in a way that isn't super perceptible. It has changed the goalposts like it, right. it has changed what the the end of what we're doing actually is. Yeah. And any, like when it becomes this, oh, well, this is about like, what's the exciting part? Well, it's not that we have a a church where people are being discipled, where they're learning about Christ, where there's just that slow, careful, long-term growth and faithfulness with regular shepherding. But rather the cool part is Hey, there's all these people outside of the church that are downloading the sermon. Yeah. I think now oh, again, like you could maybe go the other way and be like, yeah, well, therefore all that stuff could be horrible. Right. But I feel like now, like you have a time now, almost every, you know, almost every church that I know of records their sermons and puts them online. And I know a lot of people that benefit from that, you know, um, who are able to, hey, I like I went back and I was listening to the sermon again from my church. Or it becomes a much more local thing, right? So somebody locally is able to, 
you know, say, hey, I'm interested in maybe checking out this church. Oh, now I'm going to be able to go and listen to some of the sermons. So I actually know if I want to go and visit this church, right? There's, there are ways that it can be used, I think, appropriately and probably with some balance. But, but yeah, it does. I mean, it, it does affect the way we look at the goal of the church. What are we here for? What are we doing? Right. I think that, I think that, that, that this is, I actually think a very encouraging, I hate to call it, but it's like a middle road of, I think number one, I think if you Matt taking the third way, Oh man, here I go. Cause like, let's think, let's, you know, cause I do think that in our time, there is a large, even in very reformed circles that the medium doesn't really matter. But here's how you know it does. If your question about the gospel and Christian discipleship is how do we make this mass marketable, you know that will uh, that will change it. You yep. you just you you think you take your church any ministry personal whatever that eventually has to alter it over time. Yeah. However, these questions of medium, I think sometimes we worry like well, how do we how do we not have the medium become problematic? Well, we try and freeze the medium at some appropriate yeah. point. Boom, we got right. We have, you know, uh, like let's just use the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. Let's use or let's just use the Genevan Order of Worship and the Scottish Metricals. You know, like that's how we won't let the medium get in the way. Well, actually, that that actually may get in the way because that medium also communicates and has a context. And so the, the, the necessity of being very careful about the medium doesn't um, necessarily determine the medium. But again, obviously part of what it is, is that the, you know, like we've made the joke many times, like, yeah, we want to be the church. That's not like a church. Why? Why would you want to do that? Don't you want to be a church like the saved people? That doesn't are? make like, any. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that that doesn't make sense. And so um, we want to think... be a church, except instead of a church, we're like a less good coffee shop than the coffee shop down the street. Boom! Because that's where you go when your mom died and you're in <laughs> in shambles, right? Like, no, yeah, you're never going to the fancy coffee shop place. Brutal, Br- <laughs> brutal, like, boom. Bada bing, bada boom. This we want to be the church, except like a movie theater. Right. Well, you know, this one I'm I'm not going this week because I've this one doesn't sound that good. Right. Like, yep. guess what? Another thing that is dying very quickly. And yep. all of a sudden the church is like, should we do that? <laughs> who, like who shouldn't there be somebody that's like, wait a minute. Nobody does that anymore. Yeah, that's, you know, like, I mean, have you not why, heard of Netflix? Right, like, we don't want to be like that. And then the guy's like. We're gonna be the church, but Netflix. I know. Oh, I you know. I mean, Craig Groeschel. They already have a VR campus because they want to make me want to like throw myself, <laughs> scream, like light myself on fire. We're the church, in VR, but meta. and run through screaming. Like, yeah, exactly. So, novel week, idea. Maybe just be maybe. a church. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let a coffee shop be a coffee shop. Let a movie theater be a movie theater. Why don't you just be the church? Yeah. So. We're going to watch a clip of a video they pulled from the internet that you can go and I will have to link to this episode that you can go find yourself and listen to us watch the entire band audio file of this little interview.
specific about it. You might even say he was aggressive about it. So, hey, Mark, how many uh, sites at your church? This is James McDonald from a video produced by the Gospel Coalition in 2010. He was still the pastor of Harvest Bible. Jimmy Mack, the uh, uh, accused hitman hirer and, um, and Driscoll teaming up on Mark Dever. We've done a full reaction to this. That's where we talked about multi-site at length. Um, we'll link to that. But this is, an, this is audio that the Gospel Coalition took. They filmed this in their cool black and white filming when they were still doing that. And they pulled it down. Chapel in Chicago at the time. Uh, 10, hoping to open 11 this summer. Great. And how many services? 24-ish. With them in the video is Mark Dever, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. Yeah, we got five sites going to six. We have 13 going to 15 weekend services. You know, more than 10,000 people in both of our churches. Hundreds and hundreds of decisions for Christ every year. And because this wasn't as clear at the time, now knowing things about James McDonald, what he's doing now, what Driscoll's doing, you know who's still going? You know whose church is still going? You know who's still making disciples in the same place? You know who's still sending out missionaries and pastors? Mark Dever. Yep. Brutal. Like the, it, this was for, for a lot of us, I think watching this video was a moment of like, Oh, what's like, there's something going on. You know, and, there's something going on here that I don't, I'm not supposed to like, I think. And as you know, if you watched my reaction, I sided a hundred percent with Hitman Mac and Mark Driscoll <laughs> over, uh, over Mark Dever. It's Praise what God makes God you the God. perfect host for this podcast. <laughs> I know. And uh, here is our brother, mentor, theological genius. When his book on church polity came out, I was like, are you kidding me? I couldn't wow, write. James, it never, would take my whole life to write Come on, come on. Take... You're right. Jay... <laughs> Let's just go ahead. We didn't talk about this last one. Dever is right. James McDonald <laughs> did not read that. <laughs> no he way. <laughs> he literally <laughs> looked up right before he walked yeah, into this yeah, he what he it. had read driscoll before you know driscoll unless he's lied about everything and i and i don't think i'm even ready to believe that quite yet is i think he did read it the problem is when they're calling him a theological genius everything in the nine marks of the healthy church completely negates everything about a multi-site yep everything like, about their churches and how they operated yes you shouldn't be doing this is contradicted this guy can't be the theological genius and father to you in that case. Come on. I couldn't even carry it, let alone read it. <laughs> okay, so James McDonald admits uh, he couldn't read that book. It's about 250 pages, just in case anyone's wondering. So, just... Are they talking about a different book? Did he write a different book on polity? I don't know. I don't know. So full. You're, you're like smarter than I'll ever be. So, but you don't have... Also probably true, by the way. Just... <laughs> <laughs> like I know this was all fact, supposed to be fact check. Like it was correct. supposed to be a joke, and like, aha, I'm being full humble. But it was like all, like, yeah, we can just fact check this. True. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you didn't read it. Yeah, you didn't ever pick it up to carry it. He is true. He, true. Is, he is so the much theolo- smarter than you will ever be. You he are is correct. the theological genius in the room. Multi-site. Oh my goodness! You don't even have multi-services. Oh, what's going but on? But you certainly could fill more if you had them with your amazing gift of preaching. And I know people are coming to Christ in your church. You're planting churches, so you've obviously decided differently than we've decided. Yeah. We'll tell you why we're right in a minute. But you tell us why you're doing it the way you are. All right. The word ecclesia in the New Testament means assembly. 
So we get the menacing music. I know over. that music. Just, hearing it now, I'm like, that's pretty, you know, I don't it's know. It's heavy handed. It is. It's, it's, this isn't a podcast. It's so dark. It's like something, you know, somebody's about to get shot. That's how yeah. it feels. And so what's very interesting is the clip after this, they interview Colin Hansen, famed editor of the Gospel Coalition. And do you know what a great question I would have loved? Colin Hansen, love to have you on the show. A really good question for a journalist, right? A a, a journalist. I think a great journalist would ask, why did you take down this clip? What an interesting question. Let's let's listen to the clip, though. Though was not what they expected. And when the video went live, commenters immediately started piling on about how absurd the two of them looked. Here's Colin Hansen from the Gospel Coalition. When we published that video in 2010, I had just joined the Gospel Coalition. Uh, so again, Colin Hansen is there when this is published and is obviously in, kind of running things there. So he's there when it's pulled from the internet. And this this is what we get. It didn't take long before that video went public and people responded saying, I can't believe that these guys look so much like fools. Well, it wasn't long before that video was published that Mark became very sensitive about people's negative reaction to him. And I found this to be a very, fairly characteristic response from him. Began to make threats to me, to make threats about my employment at the Gospel Coalition if I didn't follow through on deleting comments and, and, and helping to make him look good through these things. But the fact is there wasn't anything I could do to make him look good in that video, nor was it my job to do so. Despite the negative reaction. So they don't go on further. And if I'm misremembering, someone can let me know. But Driscoll doesn't tell them to take it down. He's telling them to delete comments. Why? Again, I want to know why all the things that have been deleted are deleted and and why this is one of them. Um, As we come to the end of this episode, we're going to listen to four really short clips that cover this, the final huge service in Seattle. But I want to know that right after that section of... um, of audio play they went to a commercial as they often do and it was a commercial for seacoast church um, as an ad sponsor which by the way is a multi-site mega church with ministries across the no country way. oh yeah oh, oh they man. did it oh but i'm sure it's one of the good ones right like yeah right of you course know, like... oh, oh, of course yeah take the take the money right Dude. just take that money i i mean i I obviously laughed out loud when I was getting to watch Driscoll. And you know what I think? Like, I think for me, like when I watched that, like at 20, it was like, dude, like, wouldn't it kind of be fun to like give someone grief that like is clearly ahead of you in all things? Like, right. Like that's. Yeah. Um, there is something fun about it. Right. Like yeah. even, even there. Um, the... I think that, I mean, I think they look like, I think because the gospel coalition films everything in black and white at this time. It's supposed to be some kind of serious conversation about if we do multi-site or not. And these two dudes come in and they do not care at all. And they're just like, Hey, here we go. The medium like changes the, like the way that you're going to interpret this, right? This is kind of what we've been talking about this whole time, but they're going to razz the guy, but they apparently look like idiots. Yeah. And, and they were right. Right. So they were, 
And uh, so everything that I'm about to say is not defending them. I love it. But Here we go. is to maybe help people understand who maybe at that point were like, how in the world does anybody like these guys, right? Like, how could anybody listen to Mark Driscoll? Dude, he was he was so much funnier oh, yeah. than these other guys, right? Like, he, he was so much funnier. He was so much more enjoyable to listen to. And so often, especially in the kind of like, you know, theologically conservative reformed world, that is like a, like that just doesn't even come into the equation. Right. right. But that yep. like, that's what people are attracted to. That's what they're yeah. interested in. Right. Like that's, that is going, whether you like it or not, that's going to get more of a hearing than you might think, you know, and, or that you might want, like you might want, Hey, I want the, you know, Jonathan Edwards read a manuscript, just staring at it. And there was right. revival. Right. Well, okay. Like, you know, I still don't think you should do that. Right. And, and again, like, think about it again with the medium, he's in a room with Mark Dever. The context is they're both part of the gospel coalition. We agree on everything. Here's a thing we disagree about. And Driscoll is going to turn it into a joke because clearly he doesn't care that much. It's, we would have all thought it was a secondary issue because none of us thought ecclesiology mattered really. And so he's treating it like a joke. Yep. And obviously because once you, again, once you take it out of the, I'm, I'm consuming this as entertainment and say, I'm consuming this as pastors discussing the bride of Christ. You go, Oh dang. Yeah, oh wow. We really whoa. rough. <laughs> oh wow. We shouldn't just be like making cracking jokes about the church. Jesus died for her. That's, oh, that's really, like, that makes me think about what I want to say next at 10.50 at night as we record this episode. But, like, <laughs> I, it's, it, it's, you, again, it's, it's how the medium affects it. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, so Colin Hansen, I'd love to talk to you about the editorial decisions Gospel Coalition has made over time. So, here we go. We are going to finish with just a couple clips here about the Easter service at Quest Field that both Pastor and I, Michael and I watched live excitedly. Happy Easter, Mars Hill Church! It was a rainy Easter Sunday in 2011, and all of the area Mars Hill campuses were gathered at Quest Field, the Seahawks football stadium. What an opportunity we have to celebrate and worship this is the first time our Puget Sound campuses have gathered together in over 10 years. And it's amazing to see this beautiful family reunion come together. Even all the crazy uncles here, it is amazing to gather together as one body. To gather here at Quest Field, which is becoming Mars Hill Church for one day. There were several moments during this service that people pointed to as sort of points of interest in the story. One was a new face, at least to Seattle, of one of the worship leaders. Now, I have some dear friends with me here this morning to help lead us in a song, and I want you to help me welcome all the way from Orange County, California. He leads a great band called Thrice. He's going to be a part of our new campus at Mr. Dustin Kensero. Dustin Kinsler's listener. I don't actually know. It was well known. I don't actually know Thrice. Um, okay, that is not. It's not a band that I listen to um, personally. But uh, I'm just as I'm listening to this, 
I'll maybe take this a different direction. Please do. It sounds so much more lame than I think I probably thought it was then. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't hold up. I don't tell me, tell me more. Tell me why it doesn't hold up. No, it just, I mean, it just sounds, uh, it sounds fake. Like it sounds like a almost not, I, I don't want to say like a joke, but it, because of the like high production value, like everybody's obviously trying so hard mm-hmm. to make this work that it feels like they're trying so hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think like, again, another interesting thing is you actually can't find the full, I looked so many places to try and find this full service altogether and you can't find it anywhere. Again, just so fascinating. Um, anyone out there who was or is a Thrice fan, um, the album I listened to a lot by Thrice was called The Artist in the Ambulance. So obviously for me, when these things converged, this like was like you're like no way yeah yeah this is uh, a work of god without a doubt that's right and obviously very sadly dustin kendrew after this like has notably crashed out of the faith and is just like i assume he's hurt and he's real mad and it's really too bad and i'm sure a lot of all of i'm sure the forced production feelings of hey come play quest field for a church service your new believer uh you know i'm sure had nothing to do with you you know like just imagine yeah hey here's this great artist he's gonna be at one of our new campuses come on everyone yeah 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 so to a certain subset and definitely a constituency of mars hill he was a big name to have present he'd eventually join the staff and move from orange county to seattle to serve at the campus in bellevue where driscoll preached live Another interesting moment came when Justin Forsett, a running back for the Seattle Seahawks, came out to welcome the church to their home stadium. It's my honor and privilege to welcome all you guys to my office space that I call on Sundays, also known as Quest Field. So thank you for coming out. Now, normally, when I'm, when I, before the start of the game, we will raise the 12-man flag right up there, and we'll celebrate and start the game. But in honor of Resurrection Sunday and Jesus and who he is, We're going to raise the Jesus flag this morning. So everybody stand to your feet. Looking back 10 years. Dude, again, this service, this service, I know, I know you're saying it's really produced, but like, these are all the things just mega churches do. If they can get a professional athlete to come say something like this, like say something with basically no substance, right? Like, like, I'm glad, I hope this guy's a, you know, a sincere believer, but like, you know, him just saying nothing, like, obviously. Right. Why was he there? I mean, he, yeah, was, there exactly. he was really popular, right? Like he right. was, he's there because he's marketable. Yes. Right. Yeah. We might, we might be, be, be stumbling in on the marketable principle of worship, basically at this yes. rate. And again, thrice a alternative adult rock band in seattle marketable very marketable hey it's thrice except now they're singing christian songs and not songs that are angry about life and god oh cool i'm in you know like uh you can still find the albums dustin kensrew made when he was a believer and if you like that kind of music you will certainly like it so again however 
while this all this great stuff was going on, we start to get the idea of there might be something wrong. Even just accounting for the human toll of that six-week turnaround was brutal. It felt like a spur-of-the-moment decision by Driscoll got thrown on the backs of the church to pull off, and it would have been difficult to do with six months, much less six weeks. They got it done, but in spite of all the talk about the day being about the resurrection, some felt it was just a vanity project about Driscoll. And how wonderful is it that a little Bible study that Grace and I started in our living room 15 years ago now is this great, glorious evidence of Jesus' resurrection. If Jesus is dead... There were also a few who observed a sense of cognitive dissonance. He is risen indeed, as they say on Easter. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think, um, I think it is really... Uh, really interesting um i've realized i was reading i was reading the i was reading exodus today and i was actually thinking about maybe i was thinking about because i knew we would record this but this desire to be part of this like this deliverance story or this part of this revival story because like you do want to and so like i think again when you're you want the church to be catholic when you want to be connected to the people of god if you're in a in a mega church and that's kind of the your expression of christianity you all need to find a way to feel like you were somehow in that living room with mark and grace yeah you have to be part like just like they said and tell your children generations from now how they were saved on this day hey everyone random people at quest field remember how it was you know like mm. i i just think that there is a I think that while these things are marketable, I do think they speak to things that are, that are right. It's like a, again, it's, it's the microwave version. It's the marketable microwavable version of like a steak, you know, of these things of home cooking. So we got one more clip and then we, as, as we have allowed it to get quite late, we are going to, uh, we're going to tie this episode off with a, I'm sure a great bow that it was a cold, rainy morning, that the stadium was three-fourths empty. And yet, there was all this energy coming from the stage and the loudspeakers, the presence of celebrities, the hype from Driscoll. It just felt kind of forced and out of step with the Mars Hill that they knew. Now, come on down, give your life to Jesus, let's get baptized and throw a big resurrection party. Would you like to sing? Mars Hill, would you like to sing? I think the arc peaks probably at quest. This is so the arc peaks at quest. And I will say, if you want the first time I felt like something was weird with Driscoll, it was when he inexplicably preached a sermon in a suit, yelling the whole time at this Easter service. That was the time where it was, and I don't know why. Because I was like, the music was good. I listened to the music, the live recordings they did of this for a long time. But again, I think it was like, maybe it was that it felt forced. And it, or, and it was obviously like, we're not doing anything like what they, 
what he's said we're all about doing. Why are you wearing a suit for the first time ever? Um, so I remember thinking while watching this, I, I think at this point I was like, things were starting to wane already for me. Like I was kind of like, I was, uh-huh. I was interested enough to go home from church and like turn on a live stream of this. So evidently I was still interested, but I do feel like at this point I had kind of stepped back from being interested as like a personal, like I, I want to be a part of that to more like, I'm just interested to see where this goes. That's, that was maybe more where I was at, but I remember when they did some like camera pans thinking, Oh, that's not actually that many people. Like, I remember feeling like, like it's a lot of people. Right. Oh, it's really not like, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like it's that massive of a thing. Like it was talked up to be. And so it felt a little kind of, I don't know. It felt like a, almost like a kind of letdown. And so even when they're talking about it in that clip, I'm like, I almost, I feel like I saw that this, like it, it's just dip, like what was going on on stage, what they were trying to do and project didn't seem like it was actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. So this episode ends with what is obviously meant to kind of like turn on these final two epic groundbreaking five hours of radio where he actually does the thing that I have said, why haven't you done this the whole time? Right. We have not talked along the way to a lot of like the dudes in the room when any of this happened. Right. But at the end of this episode, they finally introduce one. They introduce Sutton Turner who, as I researched after this, I actually think he has published some of the notes from one of the board meetings where they were bringing up what they should do about Driscoll and how to correct things along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually, um, I think he is just a guy who is literally, I mean, now he's, he's, he's a, he's a rich executive guy and they brought in a rich executive. Again, it should say something guy with just lots of rich executive experience they brought also in. a guy with the name sutton turner <laughs> yeah. dude that's an executive name you know what i'm yeah. oh you know it what is. I'm saying that's oh, an executive yeah. name and so i i imagine him playing golf like when you said his name i was just like he's playing golf right now oh yeah and i just think it is i want to give them the props that i think that they i have taken from them over time there he is what a what a sutton turner kind of photo right um, this is wow, his personal it really faith, family, and football, baby. Um, and I just I want to give them the congratulations of finally intro- interviewing someone who was really, really in the room. And so, yeah, he um, uh, he describes. I mean, he is he has talked all kinds about this in other places, and so it's it's not a huge surprise once I kind of researched. Experience. And he does not shy away from talking about his time at Mars Hill, but he was uh, CEO of Westwood Companies, um, a company based in Dubai, Qatar, before he went to become to go work at Mars Hill. So interesting. Um, just like, again, the heart, th- but this is the other thing that I think is hard for. Um, this is hard for someone like Christian today to do. And I actually I want to give props to these 
organizations like Serial and these people out of the New York Times who do this. Obviously, they have huge biases, right? This isn't, you know, no one's surprised by me saying that. But but I think because it's oftentimes so hard to get these kinds of interviews, and I'm sure I would have the exact same temptation if we su- if one of these people we invited suddenly just said, hey, I'm coming. Sutton Turner comes and it goes, Sutton Turner, why were you qualified to be a pastor? Like, great. You're a great CEO guy. That's, you know, like that's good. Right. But what these professional journalists do is they actually don't let the fact that they get an interview stand in their way of of using the same level of scrutiny. And I'm not saying they won't to Sutton Turner. Um, obviously, the guy has said he he did things that were wrong along the way. Uh, but I want to congratulate them because they did get that interview. But they bring him in because now we're a media empire and we're managing it. Yeah. Yeah. Am, am I right to say this was the episode that, you know, we were originally going to record this like three weeks ago or something. So um, I'm maybe a little bit hazy on it, but this is the one where they talk about the tour in England. Right. And the, the, the one guy who was with the media direct, I can't remember his name, the guy who was doing a lot of the media yeah. um, for the tour and how he got really sick. And um, this is actually, I think, when we're talking about, you know, these issues of the the multi-site stuff, the issues of like thinking about the numbers of, wow, this sermon can reach all these people. Um, when like that is obviously a problem when the people that are right in front of you, right around you are not being shepherded mm. and not being cared for and not being pastored. And so this was a story of it, like this guy who's like deeply involved in helping to, you know, um, get Driscoll out there. And he gets sick and Driscoll's like main thing is like, well, don't come by me because I don't want to get sick for this tour. And then just some random pastor who's a real pastor, like meets this guy, takes him to the hospital or wherever, checks in with him, is like interested to see how he's doing because he's a real pastor. Right. And it shows you the difference, right? Like maybe Driscoll yeah, at one point amen. was a pastor. We heard some of those stories, but what you see at this point, like he's not a pastor and um, it shows how much, like that's actually what you need. This is why God determined that the church would have pastors, not marketable CEOs, I, whatever you yeah. want to call them. Right. Uh, like the church is to have pastors and that's what you didn't have here. The, the motto is we need to shepherd, right? Like think about, man, all the the great analogies Martin Bootser gives in his thing on shepherding and the different kinds of sheep you need to shepherd. Yep. It's not the show must go on, which is what, oh, dang, this guy's sick. Well, not much we can do for you. Right. I'm on a tour. Right. right? Leave me alone. I'm, I'm touring. Keep that guy away. That exactly. guy who's from my church, who's been a part of my church for a long time. Right. And ran my media you know like has is the reason i'm here and that in that moment for that guy when he actually had a huge point of need and this is true for everyone listening this is why this is a good point to leave on because the random pastor a a pastor of of any pastoring pedigree in that moment is better to have that pastor is better to have the home cooking than the factory mass-produced mass-marketable one.
Well, thank you for listening to this episode. I I hope this thing turns out well because we were firing on all cylinders here. Yeah, I feel like we just leave it on this. Get a pastor, guys. You need yeah. a pastor, a real pastor, not on a screen. You need a real pastor. You you need a real pastor more than you need to rate, share, and review this episode. But you can do that be, too. It would helpful. <laughs> it would be helpful if you did that in about thirty seconds on your way to talking to your real pastor. So, thanks for listening. We'll probably be back. We'll find out. We might be back next week with the Tempest.